Hello, and thanks for listening to This is Yoga Therapy. I'm your host, Michelle Lawrence. This podcast is a venue for sharing topics in the field of yoga therapy today. Whether you're a yoga teacher, yoga therapist, healthcare provider, or individual with curiosity, this is the place to learn about the latest ideas, personal healing stories, research, and work that is cutting edge and making a difference. While you're here, expect to expand your knowledge on the emerging field that is yoga therapy. In today's episode of This is Yoga Therapy, I had the honor of sitting down and talking with Nischala Joy Davy. Nischala Joy Davy is a masterful teacher and healer. For many years, she's been highly respected as an international advocate for her innovative way of expressing yoga and its subtle uses for spiritual growth and complete healing. Her dynamic delivery and deep inner conviction empower each individual, allowing the teachings to expand beyond boundaries and limitations of any one tradition, enabling her to touch people's hearts. She was graced to spend many years as a monastic disciple with the world-renowned Swami Satchitananda, receiving his direct guidance and teachings. She was also blessed with teachings from great yoga masters in U.S., India, and worldwide. Originally trained in Western medicine, she began to blend Western medicine with yoga and offered her expertise in developing the yoga portion of the Dean Ornish Program for Reversing Heart Disease and co-founded the award-winning Commonweal Cancer Help Program. Her book, The Healing Path of Yoga, now in its sixth printing, expresses these teachings. With her knowledge of yoga, and her experience in assisting those with life-threatening diseases, she created Yoga of the Heart, a training and certification program for yoga teachers and health professionals designed to adapt yoga practices to the special needs of that population. She is now dedicated to bringing the feminine back into spirituality and the scriptures in her book, The Secret Power of Yoga, understanding the need for more love and compassion in today's world. The Namaste Effect, her most recent book, explores a heart-centered way of living through the mystical chakras. Welcome, Nischala Joy Devi, to This is Yoga Therapy. It's such an honor to have you here today. Thank you, Michelle. It's a joy to be with you. So I'd like to start off by sharing with the listeners more about you, beginning with your early days as a yogini on this path. What were those early days like? And how did you get started on the path of yoga? Just listening to the question makes me smile because yoga is so different today than it was when I started. Nowadays, all you have to do to practice yoga is go to any number of studios in every town in the United States and also in other countries. Then it was a lot more difficult. There were very few yoga centers and the centers were very much traditional yoga centers in that it was not asana-based at all. And there was some ability that you had to understand why you were coming to a yoga center. What is it that you wanted? Was it for your ultimate spiritual growth and development? Was it because you were not feeling well? What was the reason? And then slowly you were introduced into the entire practice of yoga. And to me, this is a very, very powerful aspect 
because it started my path in yoga as well as other people's paths in yoga. And we really started with all branches. So definitely we had some of the physical, but we also had the devotional aspect, the bhakti aspect, which was so strong. And the major yoga centers at the time all had gurus, all had teachers that were overseeing the students that came and how to foster that spiritual awareness in them. And then we also, of course, had the study, which is more yana yoga, using the intellect and the mental capacity. And I think everyone at its core had karma yoga, which is selfless service. And we were always expected, no matter what we did in our practice, to dedicate some time to serving others. So it was really a very different way of looking at yoga than it is now. And I was working in Western medicine at the time that I began yoga practice. And I began because I was very stressed out in my service to others and was working sometimes from eight o'clock in the morning till 10 o'clock at night and felt that I needed to reconnect with myself in other, in order to help other people. So that's really how I began on the path. And the rest is history. I never veered from that path and have been on it for many, many years now. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I hadn't realized that you were first drawn to yoga while you were working in Western medicine and as a way to kind of balance out the stress in your life at the time. Yes, it was a very stressful time. So tell us more about your background in medicine and really how you ultimately ended up weaving the healing aspects of yoga into the work that you do. And I'm not really sure that it was called yoga therapy then, but uh, that's what we would probably call it now. So let's talk about sort of the origins of the healing work with yoga. Ultimately, I know you went on to work with Dean Ornish, but tell us how that got started. And then tell us a little bit about the work that you did with Dean Ornish. Well, there was one particular point that really changed me. And I was working in a hospital at the time. I was in training and I went into this room with a uh, a woman was six months pregnant at the time, and she was very sick. She had cancer. When I walked in to do a procedure, I looked at her, and I realized that the procedure was not what was necessary. And I asked her how she was, and she started to cry. And as she started to cry, I put down my instruments and went and got in bed with her and held her. And she talked to me about how scared she was that she had children at home. And she knew that if she died, that they would be without a mother. And this was so disturbing to her. And we got into this very heartfelt communion with each other. And I heard my name on the loudspeaker. And I realized that I had been in her room longer than I should have and quickly extricated myself from her and ran. And, and really, the supervisor got very angry at me and started to tell me that if I kept that up, that she wouldn't let me graduate. And she said to me, it's not your business to listen to somebody who's upset. And I looked at her and I said, whose business is it? Who's taking care of this woman on an emotional level? She said to me, that's not your problem. Just do your job. And you know, that was a real turning point for me because I realized that without this heart connection, 
I didn't really believe healing was possible. So it was, I was good and I finished my training because I knew that she was going to throw me out of the program otherwise. But then as soon as I graduated, I really pursued this joining of the heart with what I had learned in Western medicine. And that was really the beginning of my journey of meshing the heart together. When I got involved in yoga, I saw that this was a perfect synthesis, a perfect way of blending Western medicine with yoga philosophy. That if you really care about someone and really love them, the chances of them getting better are much stronger. Mm -hmm. So it's beautiful that you had that background in Western medicine and brought the yoga teachings to what are now yoga therapists, right? And through your book, The Healing Path of Yoga, expressing those teachings as well. I'm curious to know if you think that in today's day and age, the heart piece has come along at all in what nurses and doctors and just the whole field of Western medicine is doing. Oh, that's a difficult question. I don't know if we can put doctors and nurses in the same category. Mm-hmm. I think doctors are trained in a very different way that nurses are trained. Doctors are trained scientifically and clinically. And actually, a few years back, I was addressing a medical school class in Australia, and they had just implemented a mandatory course in meditation for all the medical students. And I thought that was one of the most wonderful things I had heard, because this has been traditional in the Eastern way of teaching. Before someone went into a medical profession, they had to go into a monastery for a certain amount of time first. So they learned who they are before they could treat somebody else. And I think it's really important. Otherwise, we just see people as bodies. And I think that Western medicine still has that attitude that that's really not their job to look at even the mental or the spiritual aspect. Whereas I think nurses are trained a little bit differently, at least originally. The word nurse meant to nurture. So it comes from the same root. So when we find someone who is a nurse, generally, they do take care of those other aspects if they have the time. They're overworked and, of course, underpaid. But when they have the opportunity, they do nurture in any way they can. And I think that's why it's interesting in the Yoga of the Heart course, we now have are giving CEUs for nurses because the Nursing Association felt that this was a program that could enhance the natural ability already of the nurses to be nurturing and caring. It seems to me the whole idea of yoga therapy now is to bring that spiritual aspect and marry it with the Western medicine, not to have either or necessarily, but to have the two together. And that's what I felt that I helped bridge. Yes. So Let's talk just a little bit more about the Dean Ornish program, because I believe the protocols are still being used today. Isn't that correct? And you developed the yoga portion for the Dean Ornish program. I did. And I don't know exactly what they're doing right now. I know they've changed it and they simplified it. But I think the yoga portion probably is very similar to when I started And I have to really talk about the yoga portion because when people think of it, they think of asana these days. But actually, we had five major components to it. We, of course, did physical postures that were adapted for this population. 
it was very important not to give them strenuous poses because they had compromised circulation. We also add deep relaxation, which is not just a few minutes, but actually a half an hour in each class of deep relaxation. There's pranayama, and we've adapted the breathing practices to work with this population also. There is what we call as imagery, which is actually part of the yoga, which helps them to have a positive outlook on their health and healing. And then, of course, there's meditation to remind them of who they really are. So all five components are put into this. It's not just one or the other. Okay, so let's switch gears a little bit and talk about The Secret Power of Yoga, which is your book that came out in 2010. And it was the first translation of Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, really written specifically for women. Now, it's been a few years since that book came out. Do you think that perspectives have changed since then? Meaning, are women commonly viewed as leading teachers in yoga and yoga therapy? Or is it a male-dominated field? Because certainly there are more women than men practicing yoga, at least in the U.S. today. What about teaching? Well, it's a good question. The Secret Power of Yoga, I wrote because I found that even in teachers' trainings, women were not motivated to study the Yoga Sutras. All the versions have been written by men, and I would say for men, in a pretty intellectual way. And I felt that the sutras are very practical as well as lofty in that how do we use them in everyday life? So when I embarked on writing the translation, which was much encouraged by the students I was teaching at the time, I had no idea what impact it would make. And what I found since then, which gives me such great joy, is that women are now embracing and going to the Yoga Sutras. They now found a way for them to connect with this ancient text. So that was something that has been and now is continues. As a matter of fact, a lot of teachers' trainings actually use it as a textbook. So that makes me so happy to know that in some small way, I did something to help bring the feminine back into the teachings of yoga. Yoga was originally just taught to men. And I think that that has carried over even as it came to the United States. Even though there are many, many more women and female yoga teachers teaching, they're mostly at a studio level. The ones that are teaching on a more international level seem to still be a predominance of men. And even with women, they seem to trust that a man knows what to do or what he's talking about. Even when I'm in a, in a roundtable discussion, they'll look to the men for the answers to it. Now, it is changing, and it's changing not as rapidly as I would hope, but still there is a dominance of this mental. And if you can repeat Sanskrit in a certain way, if you can do something else in a certain way, that it means you know more. And that's not really true. Yoga is really from the heart. That's where you learn yoga. So I, I feel that the more teachers that get into other aspects of yoga rather than just asana, everything will change 
and hopefully in a relatively short time. Mm, That was really well said. Thank you. Does that make sense? Totally. So let's talk about your new book. So your new book, The Namaste Effect, will be released in May 2019. In fact, by the time we make this podcast live, your new book will be on the shelves and available. And this book is about expressing universal love through the chakras. So firstly, tell us what is the Namaste Effect? It goes back to that story I started out with. There's something that happens when two people, two hearts come together in knowing who we are. The definition or the shorter definition of of namaste is when I am in that place of oneness and you are in that place of oneness, we are one and we bring our hands together in a gesture of unity. And that to me is what the namaste effect is. There was so much division right now in our world. There's so much hatred. There's people that even within families are arguing with each other and not wanting to talk about certain things. The political situation. I just felt at this point, what we needed was not another political book to divide people, but a book on love that can bring people together. And that was my intention of writing The Namaste Effect and hoping that we can then create the namaste effect in the world. Instead of seeing the person's skin color or way they speak or the country they've been to or their gender, instead looking into their hearts and saying, this person and I are one, namaste. And then watch things change. It's very difficult when you're in the same heart space to see that person as other. So that's why I wrote it now. It seems to be a perfect time for a book on love. Mm -hmm. And it seems to be doing really well, too. I know the book's not even been officially released yet, but yet there's pre-sales happening on Amazon. It's number one in a category, isn't it? You want to say more about that? It's number one in new releases in Eastern philosophy, which I'm so touched Mm -hmm. that people would take a book like this and embrace it in that way. And, you know, I made it very easy to read. It's not a lot of philosophy. It's a lot of stories about people who use this powerful, powerful practice to change their lives. And in some cases, avert tragedy. It's something that was very meaningful to me, and I'm hoping will also be meaningful to other people. Yeah. And like you said, so needed at this time. So thank you for writing it. And you're known as a masterful storyteller. I know there's lots of stories in the book, and I've had the pleasure of studying with you and in your presence and hearing stories directly from you. And in the the new book, there's many beautiful stories. One of my favorites is the story of an occasion you were with Swami Satchitananda, and you experienced the namaste effect with Mother Earth. So would you mind sharing this story with our listeners? I would love to. Let me just give a little bit of background and why the chakras are involved in this. While I was thinking about love, love is such a big subject and mostly misunderstood. So what I do is I take readers through each of the chakras and explain how we can love from that chakra. And what you're speaking of, the story is from the Muladhara chakra, which is the base chakra that connects us to Mother Earth. And I think what we're doing to her nowadays is making her not very happy. So I felt that 
we need to have a namaste with Mother Earth. And this was a particular fun experience I had with Swami Satchidananda. We were in uh, Switzerland together, and we were taking a walk through the beautiful mountains one day. And we were walking across a flat area that had grass. And it had just, the dew was still on the grass from the night before. And he was walking just slightly in front of us. And there were about three or four of us walking. And I was mindful that as we walked, there were creatures in the earth there. And I really was uncomfortable walking in that way, thinking I would hurt the animals that were there. And I looked over at Swamiji and I noticed that as he walked, when his foot came up, the grass that had flattened when he stepped down now sprung back up. I thought, that's curious. So I looked down at my own feet and I saw that that wasn't happening. As I walked, even though I was much lighter in weight than he was, the grass stains flattened. And I looked around at my other friends that were walking and I saw the same thing with them. So we quickly caught up to Swamiji and I, I just asked him, I said, Swamiji, what is this? When you step on the grass, it flattens, but as soon as your foot lifts, it springs back up. Whereas ours, when we step on it, it stays flat. Why is that? And he looked at me and he got very quiet. He put his hand on his heart and he said, hmm, when you walk on the grass, he said, you're thinking of other things. You're in other places in your mind and your heart. You don't think about all the creatures that are there. To me, when I walk, this is my mother. My earth is my mother. And I feel like I'm walking on her bosom. And she knows that I love and respect her. So when my foot goes down, it comes back up with the grass because of my reverence. Michelle, that was such a powerful lesson for me. And I think that it really brings us back to what yoga is. Is it something that we do in the morning and the evening or perhaps during the day? Or is it our whole life? Because what we do in the morning is just a preparation for the rest of the day. So I thought this was a very important aspect to add to the namaste effect that next time you go to the store and don't bring a bag with you and have to get another plastic bag or a paper bag, think about what that's doing to the earth. Because we can't depend on the governments to do it for us. We have to do it for ourselves. And walking on the grass is something we all do. Do it with reverence. It changes not only the earth, but it changes us also. What a beautiful story and what an important message. I love it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And there's other wonderful stories in it too that will make you tear up and your heart open. Uh-huh. I'm really looking forward to reading it. So finally, I want to ask you this question about sadhana. So we're grateful to have you on faculty in our school, which is Inner Peace Yoga Therapy. And in our training programs, we teach our students who are studying to become yoga therapists that one of the key pillars of doing the work as a yoga therapist is to first have your own steady daily sadhana, which is another word for spiritual practice. And this really sets the foundation and comes before holding space and doing any work with others. Now, I know you've cultivated your own steady sadhana for many years, 
Would you share with our listeners what your daily sadhana looks like? I'm happy to. And you know, it's changed and evolved over the years too. Actually, one of the things that I always tell yoga therapists, especially in the beginning when they start working with people, that if they work for one person within, for an hour, they should have at least that long of a sadhana in the morning. Because that's where we draw from. That's where our inspiration comes from. That's where our ideas come from. That's where our compassion comes from. If we don't have that compassion, we're treating someone on a very intellectual level. So for me, it's always been the most important aspect. More than studying, even more than taking classes, we have to get to know our own heart. Again, back to the namaste effect. So what I've done, and, and again, when I started out, I, I definitely did more physical practices because my body was not able to be still in meditation. And then after some time when my body could sit and be still, I did less of the asana and I get, went into more of the deeper practices. So my practice in every day includes chanting, which I think is very important to get that vibration. It's when we chant, we're tingling every cell to that vibration. There's a certain way that the body tunes almost like a tuning fork and it starts to vibrate with that. And then there's always a session of pranayama, which I've been extending longer and longer as the years go along. And it becomes something that's just a real balancing effect in my life. And then there meditation, silence, really going into a state of equanimity, of balance, of no thought, of going beyond the mind to where the heart lies and where love lies. And then I always finish it up with some kind of simple worship service, maybe a, uh, an arati, a waving of the light, waving of incense doing a particular chant again, and then putting a few stretches at the end to just get my body happy again after sitting for so long. So that's my general practice. But my most important part of the practice is taking that into the world after I finish. Because if I leave it there, it has no significance. So I try to, and not always happens, but I try to see everybody as an aspect of the divine and go from there, whether it's a friend, a relative, a fellow student, or someone who I'm teaching or administering to. And that to me is really the aspect of yoga that's the most important, seeing others as yourself. And then we all become one. Mm -hmm. What a great thing if we'd all bring that out into the world in that way. And I just thank you for being such an important teacher in today's world of yoga to spread that message. And it's so needed now. And uh, I expect it will be into the future too. So thank you so much, Nischala. I really enjoyed our time together today. Thank you, Michelle. And thank you all for listening. Namaste. Namaste. To learn more about Nischala Joy Devi, visit AbundantWellbeing.com. This has been a production of Inner Peace Yoga Therapy. To learn more about us, visit innerpeaceyogatherapy.com. And by the way, 
The music that you're hearing today is from the John Stickley Trio.